Sequelcast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. You can't solve uh, society's problems with a gun. <laughs> you know something, buddy? You're right. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Good for you, sir. That's the spirit. See, he doesn't really want to hurt anybody. Uh-huh. Right after I rip off this lady's purse. <laughs> of course. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy, and with me is William Thrasher. Greetings, people of Krypton. Yeah, Krypton. Um, one of many strange things in the movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, in case you haven't guessed from the Krypton intro, we are kicking off our look at the um, Christopher Reeve Superman films and then uh, over the next few weeks. Then after that, we'll be looking at Superman um, Returns. Is that the name of the film? I always forget it. Uh, no, it's uh, Superman, Superman 2, Superman 3, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, and Superman Returns. Returns, yeah. Um, because that, in spirit, is very much like the trying to be like the original Superman film, and so it's tough to talk about that, but we'll we'll get there when we get there. Um, and yeah, this is the, the one from 1978. It is the, not the first comic book movie by any means, um, and not even the first film appearance of Superman, but it is the, I would say, the first like real big budget comic book movie that um made a lot of money and uh, you know made um kind of washed off the the stink of the adam west batman uh batman tv show which i quite like the adam west show but it, it didn't um you know at the time comic books were for kids and uh that, that was the belief but this movie you know appealed to kids and adults and as the poster says you'll believe a man can fly which has to be one of the great taglines in the history of cinema. It is, and, um, you know, there's really good documentaries here about the, um, sorry, close the door here, um, yeah, <laughs> really good documentaries about the, the making of this film on, um, in, in 2006 or, or something around there. They did a, a a box set called like Superman Ultimate Collector's Edition that was like fourteen DVDs. It had all these behind the scenes wow. stuff, and then later they brought most of that over for the um, uh, the Blu-ray release. I stupidly sold my Blu-ray set because I needed money at one point, and uh, now it's out of print. But they recently redid a whole lot. Yeah, but they recently redid a lot of the uh, to tie in with um, Justice League. They sort of did a, a release with. Um, the Superman and the the older Superman and Batman films together, which uh, seemed pretty cool. Oh man, I would love to get this on Blu-ray. Yeah, I think uh, and the cinematography, and, although it might make the special effects look worse, I noticed that with old films, where the, the matting is more um, obvious. That the, the version of Superman I, I watched for for this film, because there's a, a few cuts of it, was that theatrical version I got. I was at the store and got um, Superman one two, three, and four 
uh, on you know Warner Brothers does those four films in a set thing where it's like two DVDs and there's one movie on each side. Uh, it was one of those, so not not the best quality transfers, but I got it for under five dollars, <laughs> which is too good of a deal to pass up. And I was like, hey, I should convince Thrasher to do this for sequel cast. And we've been talking about Superman. We've thought about it. Um, I'm kind of shocked we didn't do this in in sequel cast one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, me too. Uh, I'm not really sure why. Um, because it certainly took a while for you know like Man of Steel to come out and that sort of thing. But yes, in Superman. Superman, Superman, you'll believe a man can fly. Uh, directed by Richard Donner, produced by Pierre Spengler and the Salkinds. Um, screenplay by Mario Puzo, David and Leslie Newman, Robert Benton. Uh, based on a story by Mario Puzo, of course, based off the comic by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Story Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeve, Ned Beatty, Jackie Cooper, Glenn Ford, Trevor Howard, Margot Kidder. I'm not going to list all those names. Terrence Stamp is in the beginning briefly. Uh, music by John Williams, cinematography Jeffrey Unsworth, edited by Stuart Baird and Michael Ellis, and um, yeah, it came out in December. It's sort of interesting of 1978. Perfect. It, it's probably the perfect Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's family appropriate uh, entertainment. This has a. Mm, I don't know if that runtime is right. Well, this that's runtime, yeah. It, that's, that's the problem is cuts. yeah. Yeah, so many cuts. There's the Donner cut, the TV cut, the theatrical cut. There's a producer's cut of this, I believe, as well. Is that on the bootleg circuit or? Could be? I, I believe a producer's cut was there. There was a Superman mega box set that came out in the early 2000s when DVDs were really on the upswing. That I think had mm. the producer's cut. As among the many cuts that was in the box set, but I'm not sure how available that is today. Well, yeah, that, that that could be. I, I do remember when, um, you know, one of the videotapes of this came out uh, back when VHS was really the only format. They had like an extended version um, on that, which might have been the same as the director's cut. I'm not sure. But was that um, one of the ones where where you got two VHSs? <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, sort of like Star Trek, the motion picture, or something like that. But anyhow, I mean, yeah, this this movie is is pretty interesting. Um, I don't I don't think it completely works, but we'll get into it. But very loosely, you know, this is among other things an origin story for Superman and uh, how Superman gets the persona of Clark Kent, works for the Daily Planet, falls in love with Lois Lane, and there's Lex Luthor trying to, uh, as a plan involving, um... A crooked land a, deal, we'll just put it yeah, that way. A crooked land deal, it's, it's, it's convoluted and it's introduced way too late in the movie. Um, but, man, I would kill to read the original script by Mario Puzo. I would too. I could not find it. I did find, you know, sort of the, an early draft of it, um, where the Newmans also wrote on it. And, um, you know, the beginning is the same, but it, it's a lot more, um, a lot more jokey. Hmm. And, but, you know, especially the the Krypton and the Smallville stuff is is very very similar. But um, I'm gonna actually pull it up for a second. Why don't you talk about when you first read or first uh, watched this film? Was it on television? Was it? Uh, yes, it was like it was like the Saturday afternoon movie uh, played on one of our one of our. Lo- I think played on the network that eventually became our Fox affiliate uh, in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and I think I was I was six or seven at the time. 
and I and I don't know what cut it was. I guess it was probably the TV cut, so it's that long one. And I remember watching the whole thing and loving every second of it. Yeah, when they originally aired that um, three-hour TV cut, uh, they aired it over two nights. Dang. And, and the reason is the producers got a cut of the uh, money from the commercials, so they wanted to make it as long as possible. <laughs> Which it, is why you saw several extremely long, laborious, um, you know, versions of the movie when they come on TV. It's funny, like this is this is a movie that keeps expanding because, and we'll, we'll talk about it more when we do Superman two. But originally, Superman and Superman 2 were supposed to be one movie, but it got so big, and they figured they would make so much money, it ended up getting split into two movies. Well, and, uh... Oh, jeez, I'm looking at some of this dialogue from this early draft. We'll get into that later. Um, Ooh, yeah, do you want to do a live read? Um, sure. Maybe at the I'll end of the episode? Or? Yeah, yeah, at the end of the episode. Um, cool. Put a pin in that and uh, make a note, and, um, yeah, we'll do that. That sounds good. So, but, yeah, with, um, you know, it should be noted that the producers were Alexander and Ilya Salkind. Ilya was Alexander's son, and uh, he thought Superman would make a good movie, and everyone thought he was crazy, and people were like, what, that's for kids, no one's going to take it seriously. But they had a lot of money from uh, one of their, you know, very successful films uh, in the early 70s was The Three Musketeers. Mm. And in fact, The Three Musketeers, um, it, I'd love to see this film, it's kind of tricky to track down, but it stars Oliver Reed, Charlton Heston, Raquel Welch, Christopher Lee, Michael York, like a lot of really good actors. And, Would uh, that be the last time the Three Musketeers were successful on film? Uh, it depends what you call successful. I think the one in the 90s made money, the Disney one with um, uh, Tim Curry and, uh, oh God, whoever, Kurt Sutherland, I think, was in it, whoever else was in it. That had that uh, that had that hit signal or hit, hit single. Oh, for work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kiefer Sutherland. What did I say? Kurt Sutherland. Um, <laughs> the only reason I remember that movie is because of one of Harlan Ellison's rants about it. Oh, I bet they'd be good. I have to check that out sometime. But uh, yeah, with this, you know, with the Three Musketeers, they shot so much footage, they split it into two movies, but only paid the actors for one movie. Oh yeah, that was a scandal. In, in lawsuits in the Screen Actors Guild has the Salkind Clause, as it's known informally. Um, <laughs> which, you know, has... But in a way, the Salkind's doing Three Musketeers as two movies back-to-back, -back, uh, although inadvertently in that case. Um, it was really quite ahead of its time, because that's done all the time now. It's yeah, I mean, that's, that's such common. a smart way to do what could turn mm -hmm. out to be a, a franchise of films. I, I am shocked that it... That it did hasn't happened more like I, I it wasn't really news that that was happening until the uh, lord of the rings films were done back to back uh, and they did the same thing with the hobbit um originally justice league was supposed to be two movies uh, and then that didn't really happen for whatever reason but yeah um it's it's done quite a lot now i think they they were did that with avengers uh three and four maybe or whatever however they're titling those you may be you may be right about that yeah yeah um Anyhow, yeah, so in, in a similar way with Superman, you know, they were going to film one and two back-to-back -back as a cost-cutting measure. And then, um, depend, and I've, I've read a, a, a biography of Richard Donner, I, I've read a, a pretty good, oh, I can't think of the name of the book, but a, a pretty good sort of um, academic work looking at the Superman uh, films. Cool. And, and uh, different people have different opinions, but... Um, According to the Salkinds, Richard Donner spent way too much money, and so that's why they didn't hire him for Superman. They, they, you know, 
um, fired him off of Superman 2. Um, I've also heard that um, Richard Donner said, well, he was never told what the budget of the film needed to be and that there's more money than God to use to make this thing. <laughs> and so he just... Um, I heard complaints that Donner did too many takes. He's a bit of, perf of a perfectionist. But, I mean, this is a, a movie with a lot of special effects, too, and those are very notoriously slow to shoot, especially in the days before computers. Um, so, and, and there's a lot of uh, bad blood between Richard Donner and the producers and all this stuff, so it... Um, they, they hired him because they were trying to find a director to do it. Originally, they were going to have Guy Hamilton direct it. And Guy Hamilton is best known for some of the older James Bond films. Like, um, oh, I should look them up. Goldfinger, right? He did Goldfinger. Oh, yeah. Um, Force 10 from Navarone, Battle of Britain. Those are not James Bond films. Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, you know... It, but he couldn't film it in England because of he owed the UK too many taxes and was living in another country as a tax dodge. So they had to go with someone else. They went with Richard Donner, who had just come off a hit, The Omen, which is, a, I think, a pretty good movie. I just watched it for the first time not that long ago. Oh, that's a Gregory Peck is in that, isn't he? Uh, he is. He's very, he's very good. He's very, uh, it's a very oh, yes. grounded movie. And a very young David Warner as the photographer that sort of teams up with him um, in the film. But, um, yeah, but back to, to Superman, I mean, so uh, I, I watched a video this morning and they were talking about how originally they wanted William Goldman to do the screenplay. Um, <clears throat> Goldman at the time was best known for doing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, modern listeners might know him best as the writer of The Princess Bride, but he's, you know, sort of a, a legendary screenwriter in Hollywood and he didn't do it because he liked... He didn't like Superman as a character and thought, well, if a man is, is a god, how is that interesting? The superhero movie um, William Goldman wanted to do was Shazam. Wow. Yeah, um, but that never well, happened. Well, I, mean, I, I want to know what his premise would have been for that movie. What yeah, a world we would live in uh -huh. if he had made that movie. Especially in the 70s, that would have been something. But um, So they went with Mario Puzo of the Godfather fame. And um, he turned in a script that was like 500 pages and uh, supposed to be very, very humorless, very serious. Um, and when the Salkines were producing this picture, they wanted something that would appeal not just to kids. It would appeal to what they call like four quadrants, right? It appeals to everyone and be more of an adult picture. And certainly paying Barlow Brando like a huge amount of money, and he also got ten percent in the box office gross. Wow! Uh, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so, it was uh, that was really a move to say, hey, this is a serious movie, and that helped attract other talent like Gene Hackman. Um, Margot Kidder was not especially well known. Christopher Reeve was a complete unknown, uh, fresh out of Juilliard, and um, in fact, the the man that trained Christopher Reeve. To, to lift weights and everything was none other than Darth Vader himself, David Prowse. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, and, and that he was, you know, sort of a... That he, he did that for quite a while, being a bodybuilder, um, trained actors for to beef up for roles, but I, I've been talking for quite a while here. Um, <laughs> first time I saw Superman was... 
I think when I worked at Blockbuster Video, I rented a whole lot of movies for free, and this was one of them. I was trying to work my way through the different series, even way before sequel cast was a glimmer in my eye. So, um, did sort of a marathon, I think, of one and two one weekend, and that was pretty fun. Oh, that would be fun. But, um, yeah, I mean, so, where to start with this movie? It, um... It feels like three. It feels like a season of a TV show, except it's no movie. Well, they they really do condense a lot of the Superman mythology and give you as much of it as possible in this film. And I don't know if it's necessary. Well, you know, okay. So I did some thinking about that about why this film is the way it is. And again, I love this film. I think this is a great film, but it is a bit overlong, uh, and it is almost too reverential of Superman and mm-hmm. the Superman mythology. And I, and I realized why that is. This movie is not made as if it were a fantasy. This movie is made as if it were the biopic of Superman. It's as ah. if Superman was a person yeah. who existed, and this is the movie that was made about his life. Interesting. I know there... Yeah. Um, hmm. What's even stranger is in an interview, uh, Richard Donner was was asked about, um, no, what do you think about you know starting the comic book genre? And he took offense to that. And he said, "Superman is not a comic book action picture; it is a romance." Which I can see that. Is an interesting take, um, and, and certainly I think that some of the better stuff in this movie is between Lois and Clark Kent and uh, Superman that lo- that love triangle with two people. They they really let that relationship breathe, which I really appreciate. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice, um, and you know the stuff at the beginning is is the dialogue's very florid, almost Shakespearean sounding. But I think that's appropriate because because we mm-hmm. we begin on the stately and ancient planet of Krypton. Whereas Marlon Brando pronounces it Krypton. <laughs> yes, he, Krypton. Um, but but he Marlon Brando, even, even though he's he's a bit heavier in this film, I think he looks good with the white hair. Somehow it works, and they they have all the shiny suits on, and, uh, and I love the look of the the crystals on on Krypton. They're oh, yeah, it's like cool. it, like all the like all the technology and architecture looks like it's it's like grown into that shape from those crystals. I mean, it really no no other planet in science fiction looks like this, and that's only to this film's benefit. Yeah, in fact, not that long ago, Richard Donner actually helped write a Superman comic, but I have no idea what it's about, so I don't know why I brought up that trivia. I'll have to tra- track that down. Yeah. Um, but it, it gives the movie, you know, a good start. However, before that, in the very beginning, you get this odd choice of um, a little kid talking about the Daily Planet. Yeah, which which I... Is is that something that's only in the Donner Cut? Because I've watched this no. movie many times. I, I don't recall ever seeing that part of the intro. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was watching the theatrical cut, and it's in there as well. Um, it, it It's baffling. I don't understand it. Like, I, especially I kind of, because you don't see the Daily Planet for another hour. I feel like it's kind of a sweet touch, though, because it's it speaks to the the American Depression era roots of the character, and just the fact that it's that it's a comic book movie that begins literally with opening a comic book, and it's Action Comics number one where Superman first appeared. Although that's not actually the cover of Action Comics number one; that's just like a rocket ship. 
Mm. The cover of Action Comics number one is that iconic shot of Superman lifting up a car so it doesn't hit a pedestrian while the panicky guy runs into the foreground. Yeah. So I am kind of curious why they didn't use the original cover unless they just thought that was too meta. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I listened to the commentary, but it's been quite a few years now. Uh, however, one thing that's interesting, even though he's not credited as a writer, uh, Tom Minkowitz is credited as creative consultant. He did a heavy, heavy rewrite on on this film. Hmm. Um, he was friends with Richard Donner, but also wrote other films for him, like uh, Lady Hawk, and um, also wrote some of the, uh, oh, geez, The Diamonds Are Forever, and uh, Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, some of the James Bond pictures. And um, the one thing really cool watching the special features in this is Richard Donner, and we'll, we'll talk about this more next week, but uh, when we talk about Superman 2, but Richard Donner was so upset about that he didn't get to keep on making Superman films that he said he would have been happy to make, like, a Superman film, like, every few years for, like, 20 years. Wow! That would be really interesting. Well, Especially yeah, seeing yeah. where this franchise did eventually go. That would have been fascinating. Mm-hmm. And what's even stranger, and we'll get into this more in like a month when we get to Superman 4, uh, the Salkines were so, uh, wanted, had bought the film rights back for Superman and wanted to make something called Superman the New Motion Picture uh, and almost got Christopher Reeve to sign on. And this would have been in the early 90s. Wow. But that never happened either. And, and, and quite possibly it couldn't have happened uh, what, with uh, with uh, Christopher Reeve's unfortunate horse riding accident. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah, right. Um, so there you go. But yeah, Superman, uh, the, the Krypton stuff, I think it, it it's really to set up Superman 2. Um, and it, it, I don't know, it, it's your, I, I do like all the stuff uh, I noticed this time around of the Clark as a baby getting all the, the teachings. Yeah, that's, that's something that I had forgotten, that they, they sort of take advantage. So, so yeah, so Krypton, as we know, Krypton um, explodes, and the uh, scientist who warned everybody about it, Jor-El, puts his only son into a space capsule and fires him towards the Earth. And this it, the journey to Earth is something that most retellings of the Superman origin story gloss over, but I do I do like that you know we see the baby in the capsule, kind of conscious and aware, and having like a recording of Jor El trying to imprint some sort of information on him. Yeah, it's really neat. It's kind of trippy looking. It kind of reminds me a little bit of parts of two thousand and one. Yeah, and it kind of, so I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it, it also kind of reminds me of one of the Superman's secret origins. So so Superman's a character that's been around for quite some time, uh, and there's lots of twists and turns uh, in the Superman mythology, but one of the secret origins of Superman was the idea that it actually took his capsule a thousand years to reach the Earth. He didn't age, of course, because of relativity, but that he was in space zipping around for a thousand years. And this kind of, this feels like an echo of that idea. Okay. Interesting. I I realize that is just like bullshit comic book trivia, but this movie is filled with what feel like, to me, nods to 
things just scattered throughout the Superman continuity. Did you see that, um, I think it's going to be on Sci-Fi Channel, they're doing a new TV show called Krypton? Yeah, I keep meaning to watch the trailer. Um, Like, on the one hand, that could be great. On the other hand, that could be terrible. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's sort of... I mean, after all, Smallville went on for, what, ten seasons? So, I mean, certainly there's been a long history of Superman being successful on TV. Oh, yeah, it was a tremendous success. um, I do wonder if that was some of the trepidation of, of making this into a movie, because at this time in 1978, you didn't have a whole lot of movies based on TV shows. Uh, although Superman, of course, was a comic, but um, and one of the most well-known characters ever. It's interesting that Superman is, uh, you know, the one to kick it off, one of the most high-concept ones, one of the more expensive ones you could do, right? Yeah. But I mean, I'm glad they took that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the Smallville stuff I think is really well done and um, there's a scene in the director's cut that I think is too precious um, from the uh, Smallville section where it's the teenage Clark Kent and he's running really fast and this girl points out the window and says oh look Ma, look, look what the man's doing and uh, the mother says something like not now Lois Meaning that girl's Lois Lane. Oh no, she is. Oh no, Lois, you've got a writer's imagination. Yeah, I, that is that is kind of cute. And I would only like if if he wasn't going to be meeting Lois Lane later in the film. That 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 does seem kind of uh, tacked on. I guess it's like I guess it's a thing where like I feel I feel like if she saw. Clark Kent doing something impossible as a child. I feel like that should be that should have been brought up later when she's met, met Superman. It's like, hey, were you that were you that super fast kid in Kansas? Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, aren't aren't her parents played by the uh, Jimmy Olsen and uh, Lois Lane from uh, the old Superman TV series? Yes. That's oh, right. that's right. Yeah, Kirk, uh, Kirk Allen and Noel Neal. It's a real blink and you miss it thing, and uh, you can only see them in the uh, in the director's cut version. But um, in the theatrical cut, which is the one I watched, you do see the girl pointing out the window, but it just. But they don't dialogue. point out that she's Lois. Yeah, <laughs> and you don't see her parents, so yeah. it's like. Okay, so this is this is one of the scenes where Superman's racing the train. That is one of the scenes that didn't quite work for me as an adult, only because the the shots of him running are kind of awkward. He moves kind of like a janky marionette. Yeah, and also the way it's sped up and the effect doesn't quite work and it looks silly. But I think the actor they have is the young Clark Kent, Jeff East, um, really has the look. I mean, I don't think he looks much like Christopher Reeve necessarily, but um, he he just looks like a, how I'd imagine him from the comic books, I think. You know, yeah. Very... Broad shoulder, uh, you know, goody two shoes. Um, what's unfortunate is in this film, Jeff East dialogue was completely redubbed by Christopher Reeve. You know, it's funny. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it, it's really well done. It's very subtle, huh. but um, I'm not sure why they did that. But it's a very, if you go back and uh, it, it's something that made the actor pretty annoyed. Which I can imagine. Yeah. 
and you know, I really, but th- but that leads to like, because because you know, the introduction to that is is Clark kind of doing equipment for the Smallville football team. We get to see Lana Lang, which is a Superman deep cut that I'm sure probably went over most of the audience's head. Uh, Lana Lang in the comic books being Clark Kent's first love, uh, who later goes on to be a model and editor for a fashion magazine. Uh, but anyway, um, that that whole racing the train, it, there's just this great scene where he's talking to. Where you know afterwards he's talking to to Paul Kent, and and you know Paul Kent you know is like look son you came here for a reason I don't know what that reason is but I know it's not to score touchdowns and like that's that's such mm. a beautiful exchange between isn't them. it yeah and I, I think you know the the performance you get with um, Ma and Pa Kent are, are very it's very grounded it's not over the top especially the way how um, Pa Kent dies. It's very matter of fact. It's not nowhere near the ridiculousness we see in Man of Steel. Yeah, like it. It just like well, it's, well, it's from from the comic books. He he die, he dies of a heart attack, and it's like the one. You know, it, it it even in that moment, Pa teaches Clark a lesson. You know, and that that you know with all his, with all his powers, he couldn't save his father. And yeah, actually, I'm getting a little teary because I, I do I do think that scene is done very very effectively in this movie. Unfortunately, shortly afterwards, you see Clark, uh, you know, sort of lost and sad in the fields. In the foreground, you get product placement of Ma Kent placing a box of Cheerios. It's it is yes, it is clearly <laughs> product placement, but it's yes. not it's not as. I guess I find that product placement charming because it grounds the film in reality. It's sure. not like product placement today where we're going to have a whole scene inside of a freaking IHOP. Uh, yeah, that was Man of Steel. I forgot about that. Um, and also Cheerios is a cereal you would find in the middle of nowhere. Right? <laughs> well, you can find it everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like... Um, I don't know. It's not like you know, like a kid's Ma Kent would not be eating Lucky Charms or something like that. And it's not, and it, and you know, it's not like Crystal Cheerios, which was which is was only available in some markets anyway. Was that the sugar frosted Cheerios? No, I was making a joke about Crystal Pepsi. Oh, I see. <laughs> I, I like to imagine there was a transparent cereal at one point. There could be a tie-in cereal with Superman Crystal Cheerios, just like Krypton. <laughs> Little little bits of exploded space rock, uh, but it's pretty cool. But you know, we we so we get some nice emotional stuff with uh, the young Clark Kent, uh, and then then you know one night you know he he senses like weirdness coming from the barn, and he finds the space capsule that brought him to Earth, and finds this this green this green crystal, uh, and decides, well, I gotta. Fu- this is really weird. I got to find myself, and he he leaves home to go to as he says, go north. Mm-hmm. And you get a, a a very pretty montage. Yeah, him just him just making his way up north until until he's finally at the North Pole, and it's it's all him walking around on big styrofoam slabs, but they work. Like they they read as chunks of ice and snow. Hmm. And this and this leads to one of the movies I, th- I think more fun effect sequences where he gets up north and he throws the crystal which sinks into the ice and we see the fortress of solitude grow uh, out of the tundra. Yeah, that's a pretty good sequence. Yeah, and I re- I really 
and once once again, I really like the Kryptonian architecture. Yep, and you see that reflected, and I like how um, he sort of plugs the crystal in, and that sort of plays these messages from his father, and he's there for years, is the implication. Yeah, well, and, and again, this this goes into, like, the, the Superman, like, secret origins, is that they're... Uh, but you know, from DC Comics, that there there was a period in Clark Kent's life uh, where he was like learning how to master all of his abilities, and I like that we kind of get that is this montage of Jor El sort of imparting all this Kryptonian wisdom onto Clark Kent, uh, and you know after and, and it's really and it's kind of kind of trippy and fun. You get the sense that maybe five, as many as five or more years are passing. And then when it's all done, we see uh, we see bulked up Christopher Reeves as Superman, and we get the first shot of him flying. And I like that the shot is so fast you almost can't make out what's happening. Like it's just enough of a tease. Yeah, yeah. It actually, it is it is a little taste to get you amped up for the full on uh, Superman action we're gonna get later. From here, we go to you know. The, not quite an hour into a film, but damn near. And it doesn't feel like an hour to me. Like it, it like there, there's no there's no wasted time in in this this beginning of the film. Like everything proceeds at a nice clip. Yeah, and we we get a good focus on Clark Kent and the Daily Planet, and Lois Lane and Perry White and I Jimmy Olsen, Perry Mason, yeah, and Jimmy Olsen, and uh, it. It looks like a, you know, it, it, I love that it's a newspaper room from the 70s. You have typewriters, you have people smoking cigarettes. There's like TVs turned everywhere. to news stations yeah. in Large, odd corners. The huge TVs everywhere. The dialogue is, uh, you know, kind of quirky. Like, how do you spell, ra- you misspelled rapist? Well, I, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about that because okay. there there is sort of a timeless quality to, to this movie because Smallville really does seem like the 30s and 40s with all the old cars and whatnot. But then by the time we get to Metropolis, the movie is hyper-modern. And I, I really think that that is not just a joke, but it's a very deliberate point that the movie's it, it making. Was. Yeah, when the, Perry White points to Lois Lane's manuscript and says, "There's only, there's only, uh, uh, there's two P's in rapist," or no, no, that would be rapist. There's only one P in rapist, and point, points that out, and like that, I feel like that is grounding this movie in a kind of reality that it is putting the this fantastical character of Superman uh, in 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 a more modern real world setting where those kinds of really dark crimes can happen. And they're finally talked about in, in, in the press. Right. I mean, that was done deliberately. The, um, you, you know, Krypton was, was made to be weird and futuristic. That Smallville was meant to look like Americana, like Norman Rockwell paintings, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then, then modern day, as you mentioned, and, and we get... Um, sort of a, a scene that I, I really like that's it's both comedic but it's also character building and it's a the um, Perry White sends Clark to follow Lois around and uh, as soon almost as soon as they get out of the Daily Planet they uh, get mugged oh yeah I'd forgotten that scene but I really I really, really like it where 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 Clark Kent is like trying to talk 
the is tr- at first trying to talk the mugger out <laughs> yeah. of it, and then trying to talk Lois into into just kind of going along with things. And I love and I love that bit with him catching the bullet. Right, and then he, he his excuse is pretty lame. It's like, well, I fell asleep, you know, like, well, I, oh, guess I, fainted. I must have fainted. Yeah. <laughs> That's re- and, and this is the, this is the other thing. Not to go off on too much of a tangent, but we see a different version of that exact same scene played out in the recent Wonder Woman movie. Oh yeah, well I mean it works. But I mean I, I just like like I I, I like the, the you know the just the sort of like New York City problems that they give to Metropolis uh, in this sequence. And and I really do like that that uh, Reeves makes the effort to play Clark Kent in a completely different way than he pretend, than he uh, plays Superman. Yeah, and you know it's um, interesting to look at Christopher Reeve compared to Henry Cavill, who plays the part now. And Christopher Reeve, you know, he's not the, the sort of the muscle man um, that he's sometimes portrayed at in the comics. But I think um, with with the suit and with the hair, he. He's a good version of, of of Superman, but he's a really great Clark Kent. Well, I, I even love that like slick backed brill cream hairstyle that he has. Yeah, and he's nebbish without doing a Woody Allen imitation. Like he doesn't overdo it. He just seems like sincere. Where it's like, and and, and there's that other line of dialogue uh, pretty early on where Lois is like, "Oh, uh, Clark makes the request to send half of his check." To his his mother, home to his mom. Yeah, that's yeah, so cool. And, and, and Lois is like, "Oh, it's it's your your gray haired mother, I bet, right there on the farm." And, and he's like, "Well, actually, she's silver haired." <laughs> it's just <laughs> sort of a passive aggressive yet gentle humor. It's uh, no, just really playful. The whole relationship, how it's with Clark, and then later her and Superman. Uh, I mean, Margot Kidder gets overlooked a lot in this movie, maybe because of the drug problem she had later, which is pretty sad. Um, but she's uh, she's quite on top of her game, at least in this movie. Yeah, she's really good in this. And she she's a she's a tough cookie, and she you know she kicks that mugger. Um, and they don't they, they don't give her as much action stuff as perhaps they would in a movie like this today. But um, well, what I like that she has agency and that she fights back. Yeah. They're like and they I, they do they do establish really early on that that though she has feelings for Superman she's not a damsel to be rescued. It is yeah I mean that, that, that's a great point. Also you have with um what was I trying to say you have a pretty incredible stunt I think that sort of Superman's really his first moment where Lois is um gonna get in a helicopter to do a story or something and the helicopter gets tied up on a on a rope or wire oh an electrical right? cable and snaps electrical and gets cable. tangled yeah, yeah. up in the right. landing gear yeah and then you have the helicopter dangling off the side it's a pretty uh exciting sequence and yet you know it's with lois a character we've already cared about and the way she just is, is flustered with superman compared to how in charge she was with clark it's uh, just again, and we mentioned this over and over again, I think, but their relationship is one of the things I think that really works. And this is an, another thing I love about this sequence is that we we get what feels like a good half hour of Superman heroics because, like you know, Clark Kent sees that Lois is in trouble, and 
I do like that they point out that it is kind of a sillier convention of the comic books that Superman would get changed in a phone booth. Because he can't find an old-timey phone booth to get changed in, so they do that cool thing where he runs through the turnstile super fast. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I even, I know it is kind of a bad joke, but I love it that when he comes out of the turnstile, that, that, one, that one African-American guy turns to him and goes, man, that is a bad outfit. Yeah, he's like, oh, thank you, citizen, and he <laughs> flies off. But it's, it's great, like, because we we just we just get these glory shots of Superman doing what he does best. He saves Lois Lane. We get that brilliant exchange of, "Don't worry, Lois, I've got you. You've got me, but but who's got you?" Uh, you know, he he stops the jewel thief, turns him into the police. He uh, he saves the kitten in a tree. He saves Air Force One. See, I I don't think the montage stuff. I think it's overdone a bit. I don't know. I find that a little bit. Tiresome, but I, do I think it's fun. I, I guess maybe I just was in. You know, I, I watched this over a few days. To be fair, and the, I've been busy with work, so maybe I just was a bit tired and not in the mood. The only or, thing I don't like in that sequence is that when he after he saves the cat from the tree, and the girl goes inside, goes, "Mommy, mommy, a flying man saved my cat." Like, oh, Harry, Henrietta, don't lie, and you hear it slapped. slapped. That is that is cruel. Yeah, it was in the seventies. That doesn't like, make it right, but. It's like I f- I feel like the only way that would work for me is if we saw that girl later, like was pointing at the news and show. See, that's the guy, and like the parents realized that she wasn't lying. Like I feel like I feel like that that needs that needs closure. Or you could cut to a scene where the girl wakes up, and 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 uh, she goes, "Mommy, mommy," and uh, goes down to the living, living room and sees her mother into a, a bloody murdered pulp. Well, hold on, hold on. This isn't a Snyder movie. With with, with the note saying, she shouldn't have slapped her, she shouldn't have slapped you, dear Superman. Well, well because that is the thing. Like, we know he has (laughs) super hearing, so, like, he should have heard that act of child abuse and should have interfered. Well, then what? Should he have thrown the mother through the window? I mean, like... No, no! (laughs) He should just, he should just show, he should just show up, demonstrate that he can fly, and say, you know, you, you should, you you should take your daughter more seriously. She's a good kid. Like, that's, like, and the parents are just Uh, kind of in stunned uh, silence. But I also, I also like the saving of Air Force One. I love that they never show the president, so nothing, so... The identity of a president it, yeah. doesn't date the movie, but I just love that bit where like Superman's holding on to what's left of the engine, keeping the plane aloft. He's like Harry, the co-pilot's like Harry, just fly. We got something. Don't look out the window. Just fly the plane. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also around here that we start that we finally get uh, uh, Lex Luthor introduced. Yeah, and Luthor, I I do not like Gene Hackman's performance as Luthor. And, and, really? And to be fair, yeah, and I'll just give my back to Superman. I know Superman from the movies. Um, I am not that familiar with the comics except for, oh, I've read uh, Death and Return of Superman, and I've read um, Red Sun, which I thought was excellent. Um, but other than that, I haven't read very many Superman comics, and I know there's been a lot of different versions of Superman and Lex Luthor. But it's, he just seems sort of bumbling that he isn't really bald until the end, I think is a real act of vanity on Gene Hackman's part. And I, I know there was like a, a version of Lex Luthor that like was younger or something, or his son that had hair in the 80s. Well, um, that but, turned out to not be his son, but the original okay. Luthor in a cloned body. <laughs> All right. It's complicated. Uh, I'm sure. But uh, it's just... It doesn't help, too, that Luther is introduced so late in the film, and that, you know, this the end of the film is this climax about the lamb stuff, 
this this plot, this uh, the subplot that becomes a main plot is so plotting, it just takes forever to get going. That being said, I like his underground lair. Like it's really strange and cluttered, and has a pool. Then you have all, but you have like all like the New York subway architecture, and uh, it, it's visually quite interesting. Yeah, it's like it's an old like pneumatic tube station that he's repurposed, which is really cool. But I like I I tend to I tend to like Hackman's performance the 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 whole the whole wig the whole wig thing I can't tell if if that's straight up vanity because we do see him bald at the end and I'm wondering if did they just like did he just refuse to to shave his head and they just didn't have any good bald caps Yeah I mean because when we see him yeah. bald it's primarily a wide shot Yep. And I feel like that's to cover a bad bald cap. Yeah, it's because he didn't want to shave his head. That's exactly right. But I, I overall, I like his performance. I like, I like his arrogance. I like his casual cruelty to his, to his henchmen. But I think that's part of it, though, is that this, this is a very old school portrayal of Luthor because this, this came out, because um, this, this movie came out before John Byrne's retelling of Superman's origin story, which was done for the post-crisis DC comics. And that was when Lex Luthor was sort of reworked as the form we now see him in today, where he's like the world's richest man. This is this harkens back more to classic Luthor, where he's just a super genius who's just obsessed with proving how smart he is to the rest of the world and making money while doing it. Well, and um, that John Byrne run of Superman was quite acclaimed, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's a really really good uh, retelling of Superman's origin story, and it, and it set it set the tone and the look of a lot of elements of the Superman mythology at DC Comics for decades. Right. It's yeah. What we I mean that's a great point, and that we get sort of the classic original Luther in this film, and. Um, he has some good lines. I like it. You know, when I I shot out on Twitter after I heard it because it, it got a big laugh, and it's the stuff between Luther and Otis. I think is is pretty funny. Otis played by <laughs> Ned Beatty is a very bumbling uh, side character, and he says, "You know, the number two hundred has great significance to to you and I. It's your weight and my IQ." I mean, that almost <laughs> sounds like a Jay Sherman line from the credit. That's. <laughs> You know it does, but I but I really like that. Like he gets a lot of really neat lines that are performed with such gusto. I can't help but but buy it. Where he's like, you know, a, a, a person can read War and Peace and see a fun little adventure story, and another person can read the ingredients on the back of a chewing gum wrapper and can deduce the nature of the universe. And, and, and you get the feeling that Gene Hackman is having fun playing a comedic role. I mean, he mainly plays heavies in film, like serious authority figures or detectives or whatever and um and he just, just sort of lets his down here a bit and he's having fun he's smiling he's it i'll give him credit for that perhaps the performance isn't as bad as i thought the more i think about how you're talking about it but i i just sort of think of i, I just don't like how it's introduced in the story i guess is my biggest problem is that it's so late and, and we, we start there's like the sting with the cops right the detectives are trying to get him and the guy gets pushed into the moving subway train. Oh yeah, that that initial act of murder where we see Lex Luthor pushing all the switches at the control board. Which that feels very much like a James Bond thing, doesn't it? 
Yes, but I think it work. But I think it works for Luthor. It does establish that whole evil supervillain, uh, super genius sort of thing. Um, but, what do you think about Miss Tessmacher? She <laughs> she's better than most floozies. Even then, I'm not entirely sure she is a floozy. Like her, the nature of her relationship with Lex Luthor, because Otis, Otis just straight up is a henchman and enforcer. Presumably, Miss Testmacher does something more technical. Maybe she has something to do with maintaining the base or something. But just out, like out in in the wilderness, she's just like a decoy and pawn in his schemes. I can only assume she's working for him for the just for the money. Uh so, um, and she has a really nice line with Superman, I think, pretty late in the film, where she sort of confesses to a crush on him and says, why do I always have to knock up the bad guys? Oh, yeah, or, so, so, or something like, yeah, why, why, do the, why, is, why is it only the bad guys fall for me, or, or I never go for the, the good guys? Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of, well, that was the other interesting thing about that, Not to skip ahead. She does save Superman's life by, by freeing him from his, his kryptonite shackles. And but before she does it, she kisses him, and he asks, "Why did you kiss me before you before you got rid of the kryptonite?" I was like, "Because I didn't think you'd want to kiss me after I saved you, <laughs> or after all I did, or something like that." Yeah, it's a nice uh, bit of business. I wish it's, you would have had more to do along those lines. Well, it feels like something from a 1950s screwball comedy. Only in the screwball comedy, it probably would be the guy kissing the girl. Um. I just posted this thing we're going to act later. Oh, cool. But you're going to play Luther, and I'm going to play Eve. And Eve is, the I think, a Tessmacher type of character, maybe. Oh, excellent. Um, in the script. But uh, anywho. But, oh, right, but I, um, want to talk, I want to talk about Luthor being introduced so late into the movie. And, yeah, and yeah, I think this, yeah. this, again, this speaks to this movie being Superman's biopic as opposed to a fantasy based on the comic book. If you were to do, if you were to do a biopic of... Uh, of FDR that uh, covered his whole life, Hitler would be introduced into the, his nemesis. Hitler would be introduced to that story really late in the game. If you were to do a biography of Abraham Lincoln that covered his entire life, John Wilkes Booth wouldn't be introduced until late in the game. And I feel like it's the same thing here. They're treating Superman like he's a real person. And his nemesis, so if it was the biography of Superman, his nemesis wouldn't show up till late in the game. Right. Uh, I, th- I think that that's a fair point. It just feels like this is a really overstuffed, big, epic movie. And um, there should have been something more clever than the bad guy launches two rockets and Superman has to stop him. Oh, so before, before we get to that, we really need to talk about uh, Lois Lane's, you know, quote-unquote date with Superman. Because it's really... It's really cute because she she finds this note in her stuff that says like you know uh, meet me at this at your apartment at this time signed a friend, and so she's up on the balcony of her penthouse apartment, uh, which only only in Metropolis could a reporter afford that place. But um, she mm. she's like in that nightgown, and you know Superman shows up, and there's this really cool interview, and like Superman kind of is explaining to her his origins and his powers, and it's really it's. The whole thing is really sweet because they're both kind of goofy and awkward around each other. Right. 
And I even love that bit. It's like, oh, you can see through anything? Oh, okay, what color underwear am I wearing? He's like, well, I guess I, I can't see now because there's a lead alloy in your in the flower pot you're standing behind and I can't see through lead. And then later on, after she's repositioned, he just says, pink? Pink what? Mm-hmm. Your underwear. And like, <laughs> it's just, it's, goo- it's goofy in, in, kind of a, in kind of a fun way. It's goofy, but it also sets up a gag that pays off later in the film where Superman is... Um, or actually, when he's Clark Kent, he gets this, you know, message at a high frequency from um, Luthor. Oh, from Luthor, yeah. And he comes over and uh, he can see through the lead. We learn that he can see through lead after all because he's looking for the uh, the button to stop the missiles or whatever it is. Does he see through lead in that scene? Yeah, he mentions it. He's like. You think I couldn't see through lead, could you? But, I mean, it ends up screwing him anyway because the, he has the uh, kryptonite in the same thing as the uh, kill switch. Well, no, no, because no? he couldn't mm-hmm. see into the box containing the kryptonite. Oh. Like, what? when he was using his x-ray vision, I believe he was using that on Luthor's desk. Okay, then I'm mistaken. Yeah, but but no, like I like that, and then we get that really fun scene where where Superman is flying with Lois Lane, and it's really like it's it's just all really really sweet. Although we do we do get that, and you talked about this on Twitter um, that during the flying scene, Lois Lane has this sort of internal monologue, and that apparently those were written as lyrics to 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 go with this music that John Williams wrote. Yeah, and um, you can hear that the the sun version online but it's i mean it's the same as what she's speaking it but it was meant to be a musical number can you read my mind do you know what it is you do to me don't you know who you are just a friend from another star and and so on yeah uh, yeah I feel, i'm kind of glad by Maury, performed by Maureen McGovern on her debut album, also titled Maureen McGovern. Yeah, I... Never mind, that's your fourth album. Why would that be your fourth album in your name? That's idiotic. <laughs> well, you know, was it Tool had an album called Name of Album? So, you know, <laughs> that's weird. Uh, but there's a... I think they made the right choice. I think making that a full-on, like, almost musical number would have been a bit much. That being said, it does... it does go on for a bit too long but Mm -hmm. it does work for me because in in my head what's going through Lois Lane what's all the stuff that Lois Lane is saying in her head because so she's a professional writer and and again I I am a professional writer and there are things that I write just for my own amusement that I have no intention of publishing or sharing and I feel like it's sort of an unspoken thing of her character that the thing that she writes for her own amusement that she never publishes or shares is, is poetry. Uh, and this is kind of, <laughs> this is kind of like the poem she's composing in her head based on her, her interaction with Superman. And it's just uh, and for her. Interesting. The lyrics to Can You Read My Mind are written by Leslie Brickus, who's best known for doing lyrics for Dr. Doolittle and um, Oliver. Wait. Yes, no, I think that's right. You know what we should do? We should do a concept album that's all lyrics for John Williams' music as if they were all done by Brickus. That's a good idea. 
But no, so I I I really I really uh, I really like that scene, and then I love that when Superman leaves, she hears Clark Kent knocking at the door, and Clark Kent's like, "Lois, I've been waiting here for an hour. We were supposed to have a date. Didn't you get my note?" <laughs> I kind of like the silliness of that, and, and also that it sort of it sort of makes sense because Clark kind of wants to know. Who who is she, who who is she really in love with him or Superman? You know, can can yeah. she accept both? I love that he created that ambiguity so that he could kind of have a, a two dates with her on the same night. Uh, my mistake, Leslie Brickus did not write lyrics for Oliver, but he did do lyrics for the uh, movie musical Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, cool! So I guess. I guess we do need we do need to talk about uh, Luth- Luthor's plan. So there's this whole yeah. thread that's introduced that some mysterious chain of shell corporations are buying up useless debt land in the California desert, uh, and that's all part of Luth- that's Luthor's the one doing that because he's got this plan where he's going to trigger a superquake in the San Andreas Fault, causing most of California to sink into the ocean, turning all that desert land into beachfront property, <laughs> which he's going to sell for a he's going to sell for a killing. Hmm. And I feel like, like as old school Luthor, Luthor plans go. That actually, like, that works. Like, that's that's because that's one thing I'll say about a lot of the recent comic book movies. Very rarely is the villain scheme something straight out of a comic book. So I really appreciate that 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 is the scheme in this movie. What I appreciate is they have a way too big map explaining how the <laughs> the new um, you, you know this sections of the Luthor land is going to be, and it, one of them is 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 it's all like Luther Deville and yeah, Lutherville Lexton. Yeah, but one of them is like uh, like Luther Beach and it's crossed out, and Otis writes Otisburg, and Luther just gives him the riot act. It's pretty. That's funny. that's a like, really Otisburg, cute bit of business. Otisburg, and he like tries. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry, boss. He's like, it's just a little bit bit of land. He's like, Otisburg. <laughs> and he, he like wipes it off, off the sharpie. It's uh, it's, it's pretty funny. It's I, pretty I think good. it's really sweet, and I love. <laughs> I just, I get, I really like the interaction between Luthor, Otis, and Testmacher. Like I feel like Luthor is the type of character that needs a flunky sidekick or enforcer to play off of, or else it's just him brooding behind a desk. Right. So I, we, I really do appreciate that those characters are included in this film. We have not <clears> even <throat> mentioned the score by John Williams, which I. I might argue is a better score than Star Wars. Like it's so, especially the Superman theme, the romance theme, and I love Otis's idiotic dummy theme. Well, it hits more emotional. <laughs> it it hits more emotional yeah. beats uh, than the original Star Wars uh, score. I will definitely give it that. And this probably is the because Superman's had many theme songs, mm. but the Superman theme from this movie is always the first one I think of. It's the one closest to my heart. Uh, and uh, on one of the documentaries, Richard Donner said, you know, he listened to John Williams do the score, and when he closed his eyes to listen to the, the title track, and you could swear he heard it when it goes da da da, you could swear that it said Superman. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, so to accomplish this task, um, to accomplish this this scheme, Luthor has to detonate a nuclear weapon at a precise point of the San Andreas Fault. So right. we then get a whole side story of Luthor, Otis, and Testmacher uh, uh, infiltrating just, these these nuclear weapon convoys so that they can reprogram so... the targeting computers of the missiles. Yeah, this this is just 
nonsense. It, it feels like something out of a, a sitcom. Um, well, well, it 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 does. It is way overindulgent because the very first missile they reprogram, you find out Otis didn't put in all the coordinates, so they have to re they have to redo <laughs> that missile. So we get like a whole extra bit of business. So like the initial like the initial missile. It's like really clever because Luthor uses a remote control car to fake a car accident to stop the military convoy, and Miss Testmacher's there in a wig and this low cut dress, and it's 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 a, a, a joke that really I know it's it's meant to be a gag, but it's kind of with the other humor in this movie, it doesn't like it doesn't quite work for me where. The, the, all the military people are like, oh no, there's an unconscious woman thrown from this car. What are we going to do? And the and like the commanding officer's like, I suggest vigorous chest massages, and then if that doesn't work, mouth to mouth. I mean, it's like a rape joke, right? Yeah, yeah like the the gag is they're going to feel like the 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 thing is, she, she's an attractive woman. They're all they're all young, probably mostly straight men, and like I feel like I feel like there's a way to put a gag in there that would work. Like, since this movie is sort of so out of time in, in a lot of its ways, like, I feel like it would have been much better if, like, the, the officer's like, we need to give this woman mouth to mouth, and, like, everyone's, like, too embarrassed to do it because they're, like, old-school military cadets from a 1940s war movie or something. Well, and, and the other part, uh, and the tag to the gag is even, makes it even creepier. Because he has all the other soldiers turn around, so they can't see what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, they all surround her, and he's gonna, he's gonna do the resuscitation, and then they, and yeah, and then they, they, uh, they turn around, and I feel like it, it's a, it, it, yeah, it, it is, it is a, it is weird. It's, it's the only, it's the only bit of humor in this movie that doesn't work for me. Uh, but then, but then every other, every other scheme is just like. <laughs> So, the security is laughably bad, but every every other scheme, it's just, you know, Luthor shows up in a vehicle, slows the convoy down with some time-wasting business, and somebody sneaks into the missile to reprogram it. And this just keeps happening over and over again. But I do, but I do like, I do like the gambit, because it's later, you know, we find out he only needs one missile to trigger the earthquake. The whole reason he has, that he, he goes after two missiles is that he wants to create two crises so that Superman can't be in two places at once. Yeah, oh. Joel, Joel Schumacher famously ripped this off at the end of Batman Forever. Yeah. Where, uh, um, oh, what's her name? Nicole Kidman and... Chase Meridian? Robin. Yeah, Chase How do you remember <laughs> that? Jeez. Chase Meridian and Robin are thrown off a cliff and Batman has to pick one. Ah, oh, boy. Yeah, well, and I, I, I guess his gambit because the second because the second missile is programmed to go to because the first missile is just going to land in the middle of the desert. The second missile is going to hit Hackensack, New Jersey, and I can only I, I can only guess that Luthor has assumed that Superman will go after the missile headed to a highly populated area. Although it's not till later, you know, after Miss Testmacher saves him, where Testmacher's like, "My mother lives in Hackensack. You got to save her." Which, that is some cruelty on Luthor's part, because you know Luthor knows that her mother is in Hackensack, New Jersey. I wonder if there's some deleted scenes with Luthor meeting Tassermach's Tass uh, mother. I don't know, I feel like it's, I feel like it is just sort of cruelty on his part, like he, because this is the thing, he's always insulting Otis, whenever he insults Miss Tessmacher, she always fires back. And Luthor needs to be able to lord it over people. 
and he can't use his his wit to lord it over Miss Tessmacher. I think the only way he can do that is by using the missile in a way that will make her family collateral damage. But yeah, so after after all this business, you know, we get the whole thing where where Luthor broad uh, this is Lex Luthor broadcasting on a frequency only you can hear. Mm-hmm. To, and which, I love how distorted it is. It makes it sound really creepy, and it's the only time I think Luthor comes off as menacing. Yeah, and and so you know he lures he lures Superman into his lair, and you know he explains his evil plan and whatnot. And so so earlier there is a scene. This was after that whole thing about reading the ingredients on a uh, on a gum wrapper and just dis- and dis- and discerning the secrets of the universe. That using what information was printed in the Superman article on his own knowledge of chemistry and astrophysics, like he deduces that Superman has an elemental weakness in the form of radioactive material from Krypton, and he uh, he's able to get a, p- a chunk of kryptonite and this is when kryptonite is introduced in the story he has like it's it's it it works uh, i i really like this introduction of kryptonite and i love that i love that no one I, I love that there's no cheesy discovery that kryptonite hurts him i love that it's just luthor being smart enough to deduce that superman has an elemental weakness right it's not like you have a scene where you know the Marlon Brando is saying, "Remember, son, you can't have uh, if you come in contact with stuff from your from uh, kryptonite from the planet Krypton, it will hurt you very much. You must never be near <laughs> Krypton again." Yeah, I, I like that. That doesn't that, that I like that that doesn't happen. I like that it's a surprise to Superman when he's exposed to kryptonite, and I really and I like the way you know he has it in that lead that lead safe. It's on a chain, so he hangs it around Superman's neck, and then just kicks Superman into his pool. Interesting bit of uh, trivia: John Williams was uh, not originally supposed to be the composer. Um, Donner wanted to have Jerry Goldsmith, who worked with him previously on The Omen, huh. the film. But Goldsmith I think Go- was had too much going on and had to turn it down. I think Goldsmith would have done a really good job, mm-hmm. but I do in the end I do think they went with the right choice with uh, with John Williams. Yeah, Goldsmith is um, he's overlooked, but John Williams he can do that classic sound when he wants to. He hasn't done it in a while. I think you know the last time he really made an iconic uh, kind of old fashioned score was for the the first Harry Potter movie. Mm, yeah, that is another score that says, sticks with you. It's those, those hummable themes and, and everything. Not that every music needs melody, but it's um, it's just yeah. something John Williams is good at doing. You know, catchy, romantic, mooding uh, hooks. And so this part of the plot, I li- I like that Miss Testmacher does save Superman. Uh, you know, she gets the kryptonite off of him, throws it down a pipe so that the radiation isn't affecting him. Uh, again, under the promise that he'll save Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh, like that, were like I, I like I like her turn. I like her her. I, I, it is completely self interested, but I, I do I do like that in that moment she realizes she's probably been on the wrong team the whole time. Right. Um, watching this film again, one part I completely forgot about is how Superman flies into the middle of the Earth to prop up the um, San Andreas Fault. Yeah, because yeah, because that's the thing. When he saves New Jersey, the other reprogrammed missile hits the San Andreas Fault and triggers this mega quake. And Jimmy Olsen and uh, Lois Lane are in California because they were gonna they were doing a story on these mysterious land buys. And there's this great bit where she's talking to these two Native American guys from a reservation who sold off some of their land as part of this deal. 
but but yeah, it, uh, as the quake is, uh, we do see there's like a, a, a t- the the this dam breaks apart and Superman saves Jimmy Olsen and like builds a new dam out of rocks to protect the town that's in the shadow of the dam. But yeah, then he burrows into the earth and is like pushing the tectonic plates together to fill in the uh, to fill in the San Andreas fault to prevent the uh, to prevent California from falling into the ocean. And it, it is a pretty neat. Uh, effect sequence, um, but I, I really like the trippiness of Superman flying into the middle of the Earth. Like it's like all this fire; it's very abstract. Um, you get really wonderful over-the-shoulder sequences of Superman flying fast with the sound effects, and the, they they speed up the footage in the foreground or in the background, and he's in the foreground. Well, they're really making a good faith effort to try to show him doing all the amazing things. Mm-hmm. that he does yeah. in the comics, holding up a plane, spinning around real fast and digging through the earth to enter a lair, uh, pushing tectonic plates together to save a landmass like the, while surrounded one, by lava. I, I've always... Uh, the, the, the scene that stuck in my mind as, as a kid watching this, and I, I still like it today, is uh, him saving the train, where there, there's a gap oh, where the yeah. train is coming, and he, he lays himself as part of the trek and the train just goes right over him. And in the wrong hands, that could be very silly, but uh, it's Christopher Reed's sincerity and the way it's done with the wide shot, I think, makes it work. But that, that's totally something right out of the comic. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's something else I like, is that when Superman's being Superman, he is totally sincere. He only ever quips long after the crisis has been averted, and that really helps. And yet we get a tragic twist, don't we? Yes, because so so Lois uh, was not able to get gas in her car when she went to pick up Jimmy Olsen, and her car runs out of gas in the middle of the desert. But she's still caught in the zone of the quake, and it's it's terrifying. She mm-hmm. she falls into this crack in the earth, and she gets buried alive. And when Superman finally uh, gets gets to her, it's too late. She's dead. And and even though I know how this movie ends, it still hits me. It still hits me, and I'm like, God, that is a fucking baller move to kill off Lois Lane in your Superman movie. But then we get into what has apparently become one of the most the most controversial scene in the film. Superman flies off and reverses the flow of time so that he can get to Lois before she dies and save her life. And we get a, a clip of um, Brando again as jor Say, no, you know, warning. Yeah, don't do it. Let the woman die. No, he doesn't quite say that. But. Well, because well, we get it, we get it three times. Once when he's in the space capsule. Mm. Once when he's in the fortress of Good solitude. Yeah. And again in this scene, where one, where amongst Marlon Brando's uh, speech, he mentions, "You are forbidden to interfere with their history." And and I take and. and I he says that and he's not saying you can't interfere with Earth's development. That's inevitable because you're there and you're going to be this figure. Mm. He is quite literally warning Superman not to fuck with time travel. And I think this scene works. Uh but a- and I'll t- and I'll tell you why after if it, I can do that now or later if you have some more to say about Superman reversing time. I, I've never liked this because I think it's too pat and too convenient. And um, in fact, 
all the these sequences of things exploding were meant to be for Superman 2. But huh. because they were filmed first and the special effects footage looked so spectacular and they were running out of money, it, and they said, let's just cram it into Superman 1. Uh, the original ending for Superman 1 is uh, he diverts the missiles uh, and instead they, they fly into space and hit the Phantom Zone, setting uh, the three villains free. And we see them fly towards Earth and that would have been the end. You know, tune in next time for Superman Two, and and that's why I think him uh, doing the time travel works because it does pay off. It just doesn't pay off until the next movie. Him reversing time is what frees General Zod from the Phantom Zone. I never thought of it that way, but uh, what about them using reversing time again in the ending? for the daughter cut of Superman 2. Okay, I did not know that that happened in the Donner cut of Superman 2. I had not seen that cut. I'm going to have to track that down for the next episode. Whoops. Okay, so I just spoiled that. But That's we'll all talk right. more about We'll talk more about that next time. Um, yeah, so it, it it is what it is. You know, I, I love... Um, I do love Superman's scream, and it's really quite ghoulish when... Uh, Lois Lane dies because the dirt is like going in her mouth and no like, she they, looks dead yeah uh, and then like in, in his arm she's like they did a good job with the makeup to make her skin pale and, and she flops like, she flops like uh -huh. a corpse I almost wish that if when Superman set back time that he goes to try and save her and she keeps on dying to prove the point that you know some stuff is fate and you can't change it I feel like that would be too dark. Yeah. That, that's too dark a concept for a, a Superman movie. Now, for Batman, maybe you could do that. But then yeah, Batman can get into his time machine and can keep going back in time to save Chase <laughs> the, Marie. The Bat time machine. Come on, Robin. We have to go back and keep the Joker from stealing the diamonds from the bank. <laughs> to build his giggle laser. You ever, notice, you ever notice in Batman stories, the the real re, the, like diamonds are only good for making lasers. Yeah, <laughs> but we're talking about Superman, right? Um, but yeah, and and then uh, you know the film is uh, you see uh, Luthor and, and Otis get get put in prison. Yes, Superman drops them off at a federal prison. And there's a nice bit of dialogue that, again, it could be corny, and I don't even remember what the dialogue is, so I don't know why I brought it up. But it's something Superman says to the warden, where he's like, thank you, Superman. He's like, no, thank you. We're all on the same team. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, like the, the whole truth, justice, in the American way sort of thing. Right, because to me, what Superman represents is uh, an ideal of what America can be. Right. Where, where, all, where all this strength and power can be turned to good and altruistic ends and can, can improve and save lives. Right. Superman wouldn't um, grab women by the pussy, uh, be on them like a bitch, and uh, call Haiti a shithole. I didn't know whether any of that was going to come up this episode, but it did, uh, and it's probably it dates the ep and this is the sad thing by the time this episode <laughs> by the time this episode drops that will have been what you, the things you just mentioned will have been the 50th 51st and 52nd worst thing to come out of Washington they would have been forgotten probably 
Oh yeah, that, that'll date the episode uh, unless you know future historians are doing some internet forensics <laughs> and looking for cult for references to history and pop culture podcasts. But but yeah, and and I do like you know Luthor in his arrogance is giving this whole speech, and I love that Otis is trying to get in on it. Uh, and yeah, this is when yeah. we finally see bald Luthor because we saw Luthor's collection of wigs earlier, which was kind of a nice touch, hinting at his baldness. But yeah, but you know, Superman takes his wig, uh, and there we see bald Luthor in all his glory. And it looks—I don't think it's a terrible bald cap. I think it looks fine. Well, I think that's in part because we don't see much of it. Yeah, that's true. We don't have time to see see the gaps in the makeup. And it is strange to see Gene Hackman bald. Um, it is, but he looks good as a bald Luthor. He does. I, it does make me wish he had shaved his head. Right. Maybe, maybe someone, you know, with all the uh, computer effects uh, nowadays on your computer, maybe someone can make a bald Luthor cut fan of <laughs> uh, Superman motion picture where all they do is uh, superimpose bald, the bald cap onto Luthor's head. Or, or you could you could super, you could have a a porg's head on top of Luthor's head. God, <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah. I bet they're delicious. Oh, I, um, they stay crunchy even in milk. Okay, um, <laughs> Crist- Superman, Crystal Cheerios. Yeah, uh, Krypton Cheerios. Uh, Superman, <laughs> the motion picture. Uh, I, I give this a sequel. Yes, this is a, a well done movie. It, you know, I, I don't think it's the template for much of the superhero movies that followed. I'd argue Superman 2 is more of that. But but this one, it's a good origin story. Uh, there's a sweet romance in the center, even though I don't think... I think it's a bit long. I don't think Lex Luthor completely works. But it, it, it's well worth um, well worth seeing. I, I You know, I'm currently living with um, my, my in-laws and my, my nephew, uh, who's five. And I'm wondering if he would if this would hold his interest and I'm not, I don't think it would necessarily, but yeah. it's, it's weird. Like he, he has Superman and Batman t-shirts and underpants, but he's never seen other than the Lego Batman movie. I don't think he, he's ever seen cartoons or movies or, or anything really knows what it is. We well, you know he might enjoy the Superman animated series from, uh, mm, from the nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Justice right. League Unlimited has some, Prime. has some great Superman action. Yeah. I, I feel, yeah, this film, this film, it might be very well hard to watch with with modern sensibilities, and it, and it certainly does help the experience if you love the Superman character. But I don't know. I, I actually would like to see like just just have some people watch this movie cold and see what they think. Because I st- I still think it holds up as a good movie. Yeah, no, I, I I like it. I don't I don't think it's the best of these uh, Christopher Reeve pictures, but it's it, it's pretty good and a damn good start. You know, you could tell the money is there on the screen. And in Brando's salary, I mean Brando, uh, <laughs> one of the really many special features on this one of them, Brando says, "Well, what do you think about doing Superman?" Is the, the reporter says to him, and Brando says, "Well, this is a one million dollar smile, and he barely does a grimace. This is a five million dollar smile, and he shows some teeth. <laughs> and Superman is ten million, it, it, and Superman, and he does like a huge Muppet smile." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so and oh, go on. And the other thing is, he didn't even read the screenplay until he was on the set the first day. I can imagine that. Because he admitted uh, doing it for the money, but I think he does a good performance, all things considered. 
Well, yeah, that is that is the thing. Is like even even lazy even lazy Brando is still pretty good, and I don't think he's lazy in this. No, um, you can see all the money on his face. Yeah, but you know he he gives it a bit of respect and and reverence. There's a stateliness to it. Is good a stateliness? Yes. Now, what were you going to say? Oh, so there uh, there's an issue of Film Facts from a few years ago where they interview. I don't know if it was one of the producers or the casting agent. I think agent, the Salkinds, yeah, okay. But they, they interviewed one of the people who made this movie, and specifically he was the guy that went to Brando's mansion to like Oof. pitch Brando on being in the film. And he had all these stories about Brando really just fucking with him and the other producers. Uh, that like They were having this meeting, and they were sort of pitching out the story to him, and he clearly wasn't listening, and he kept <laughs> suggesting idiotic things for the movie. Did he know about the bagel? Yeah, like the top, the bagels. The bagel story was part of it, but he also had this thing. And when I (laughs) when I'm introduced, I should turn to the camera and say, "Hello," and then in the Fortress of Solitude, (laughs) I should turn to Superman and I should say, "Jorello," (laughs) and just kept like wasting their time with that, and like they were, and and his sort of. thing that it's like to to get Brando to work for you you have to uh-huh. prove that you can put up with a turned up to 11 version of Brando that you will never see again so one one of I think it was Brando's last live action performance was the score uh, sort of a crime caper directed by Frank Oz oh yeah and the entire time he called Frank Oz Miss Piggy oh did Frank because, Oz appreciate that nope and I bet Brando he... would only take direction from Robert De Niro <laughs> so, so Brando kept up his hijinks till the very end. I, I, I respect that to some degree, even though it's certainly a dick move. All right, um, here's what Oz wants you to do. Yeah. Yes, 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 what is it? I got about five minutes in the scene, then I gotta go love my gobble milk yellow. <laughs> and also the part of the part of the car must be played by my good friend Ben Gazzara. <laughs> oh, critic deep cut. May a child be a masculine child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the one last Brando story, then we'll move on. This episode's running a bit long, but hey, so is this movie. Um, <laughs> so, so Christopher Reeve, it, it, you cannot overstate how important Marlon Brando was as an actor at that time. Even though he was a bit over the hill, he's like the most respected name. Well, he was the American Olivier. Uh, yeah, that's a great comparison. I can't think of like a modern actor you would... American actor you could compare to that uh, level of you know respect and, and but yeah in the American Olivier well well said right and so there's a scene him and Christopher Reeve Fortress of Solitude uh, having dialogue and um, Christopher Reeve is you know a, a pretty young actor um, he, he's nervous he you know he's working with not only one of his idols but one of the best American actors at the time working in film and uh, Christopher Reeve has like his first line of dialogue, to, which uh, I'll just make it up. It's something like, "Drell, I never thought I'd see my father." And um, and Brando has the next line. Brando pauses and says, "You're not going to say it like that, are you?" <laughs> just to screw with him. I think that was a big part of. And Brando, I, I feel, got only more eccentric as he got older. Oh yeah. All right.
and his son killed a person, I think, right? And then, anyway, I'm not... I, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> okay, allegedly, allegedly. Um, let's, let's go and pitch a sequel. Um, okay. This is hard to do because Superman 2 is so well known, but we'll just pretend, based on the way this film ends... And well, it's also it, so set up, too. It is. Um, that being said, how would you pitch a sequel? Well, what I what I would do, uh, I, I'm going to have to kind of ignore the sequel that's set up. We'll assume that it's a trilogy and that General okay. Zod will show up in the third movie. So the second movie, um, it's still the events of the second movie are still going to be triggered by uh, by Superman. Uh, altering the flow of time and that's you know throws all sorts of crazy energy into space and that energy is picked up by a giant something that giant something is brainiac Mm. and so brainiac comes to earth specifically to find out what altered the flow of time because brainiac wants that ability because uh you know brainiac is obsessed with knowing everything and being able to alter the flow of time means brainiac can witness all the greatest moments in history uh, but it also means Brainiac can alter history to make the universe more efficient. And so Brainiac starts, like, assaulting the Earth and abducting people from his giant uh, tentacled skull spaceship, uh, all trying to understand why Earth is the place where the flow of time changes. And, of course, Superman will try to stop it. Eventually, Brainiac will find out uh, will find out that Superman is the one responsible and will try to sort of abduct him and, and take that power from him. Um but, you know, Brainiac's uh, not an idiot. Uh, in the end, Brainiac will have to uh, kidnap the people that Superman cares about in order to draw Superman out. So Brainiac will suck the entire Daily Planet building into outer space into his spaceship. Uh, so in the final confrontation... And, so, and, and it'll be sort of an ironic thing, because the way Superman will defeat Brainiac... Uh, is, is like, okay, you you want to see the flow of time getting reversed? I'll show you the flow of time getting reversed. Um, Superman is able to uh, free the Daily Planet uh, from Brainiac's ship, and he reverses time around Brainiac's ship. And he reverses time to the point where he goes to the beginning of the universe and he throws Brainiac into the Big Bang. And that's how Brainiac is defeated. In an intense special effects sequence. Uh, who would play Brainiac? Oh gosh, that is that would be real. Well, actually, you know, you know what I'd do. Uh, you know the guy who played Lurch uh, and Mister Hom in Star Trek: The Next Generation and the Adams Family movies from the nineties. Yes, he would physically play Brainiac. Uh, so he would be less, but Brainiac's voice, which because that would be the other thing is like Brainiac being like a supercomputer in human form. You'd never see Brainiac's lips move. Like, his voice would come out of the machines around him. The voice of Brainiac, because I want to create an interesting dichotomy, would be Marlon Brando. Because I want another super genius intelligence to to sort of play to play off of the of the genius that was Superman's father and also Lex Luthor. And of course Luthor will be involved. He will at one point try to sell out the Earth to get hold of some of Brainiac's technology. It of course won't work for him. So Brando's voice and that's and that's how we keep Brand because like Brando just has to sit in a recording booth. He doesn't have to put on makeup. He doesn't have to stand. He doesn't have right. to do any physical acting. That will help keep Brando in check and keep the price tag responsible. I think what the what's what I would do is have so so one of the last scenes in in this film is um, Lois Lane is sort of like 
oh my god, Clark Kent is never there when Superman is. Does that mean, oh, that's silly. They can't be the same person. You know, something <laughs> along those lines, right? And so th this would pick up that thread and have um, Lois Lane investigating Superman, investigating who's the real Superman. And huh. it'd be sort of like a, this would be kind of like a lower budget sequel to, uh, to, to, to crank out in theaters really fast. It would be sort of like a, a, a newspaper political thriller where it's sort of a, a race where Lois, uh, with her reporting skills, and then Lex Luthor with his prison connections are trying to find out who Superman's alter ego is. And it will... Um, it, it ends with uh, Clark Kent makes a deal with Lex Luthor because he secretly wants to work undercover to get closer to Luthor. Hmm. So you have Clark Kent uh, committing a crime, being put in prison, and trying to cozy up to Luthor to um, expose him and have him put like in a solitary facility for good. And it huh. ends with um, Lois finding out and telling Superman I know who you are and then they kiss and then uh, she says like but I think Clark is the better kisser and then it ends huh that'd be a weird one yeah, that would be... Well, you'd think stealing two nuclear missiles would be enough to put someone in prison forever. Nope. Apparently not. He has a good lawyer. Oh, and I want to correct something. Kirk Allen was not the original actor behind Jimmy Olsen. He was the actor who played Superman in the late 1940s film serials. I see. Um, so let's move on to the last segment what you're watching. Uh, and we banked a we couple might... of episodes, so like we have watched quite a bit. <laughs> we have, but let's just pick one. This episode is uh, going a bit hot. Um, I, you know, something that I saw, and you might have seen this too, is Star Wars The Last Jedi. Indeed I did. Okay. I don't want to get into it too much, because we'll eventually cover that on this show. But... Um, I liked it quite a bit more than The Force Awakens. I thought it took more chances. I... Huh. I've, I've got to rewatch The Force Awakens. I'm not sure whether I liked it anymore. Uh, I only half agree with you, though. I think it only looked like it took more chances. That being said, I was very entertained. This was on the high end of good. And I think Mark Hamill got to do a pretty good performance, which was oh, nice to see yeah. after he had pretty much nothing to do in Force Awakens. No, he, he had a very good turn in this film. Good shaggy dog look to him, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, although there, there's a bit on a casino planet that is completely not needed. Well, it, it, it does feel like something out of the prequels. I kept expecting <laughs> Jester, uh, Jets, Jest, Dexter Jetster to show up at some point in there. Well, and then they're riding on the creatures, and I was thinking of the terrible scene in the prequels where they're kissing on the, the hill and they're riding space cows around. Or whatever oh, that yeah. was. Like, and uh, I, I was reading some commentary on it somewhere, and, and one idea someone had, and it, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, 
the, I'll save it when we talk about the actual movie. But um, I do really hope, uh, I'll just leave it at this, I really hope um, they have Lando in episode nine. Actually, that's true. His, his absence has been felt. It's a damn crime, uh, especially how much he's truly one of the team and by the time of Return of the Jedi, in that they just no one talks about him, no one makes reference to him. And Billy Dee Williams has said he's very interested, and he continues to voice Lando in most of the video games. So what does he think about Superman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, um, it's time for us to... Well, actually, he, so he, yeah. here's what I'm watching. Uh, let me just oh, get sorry. this out of the way yeah. uh, for my, my What You're Watching. Um, and this ties into the movie we watched. Uh, I, I, among other things, I saw the Justice League. Oh, um, I, I, heard, I heard that was sort of neat. I haven't seen it yet. But. Well, it's... Let me just... It's fine. Okay. It, like, that's that's kind of... That's my short assessment. It's fine. You don't... You do not need to see it but it is better and more inter well i don't know if i want to say better but it's more entertaining than pretty much all the other uh all the other dc movies except uh except wonder woman it doesn't hit the wonder woman heights although once again she's one of the best things in the film it's 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 completely unnecessary and completely disposable uh but it's fun to see these characters acting like themselves on screen. I almost saw this in theater because I saw the running time was so short. And I'm like, that's refreshing. It's only two yeah. hours. <laughs> it, and, and, and yet, there's still parts that feel like dead weight in it. Um, I and like and the... you, you can tell what parts were done by Zack Snyder and what parts were done by uh, Joss Whedon. Is the mustache effect worse in person than it is in the still shots it's it's not as bad as in the still shots but it's noticeable like even even if you don't know the story of cavill's disappearing reappearing (laughs) mustache there there is something weird about his face in a number of scenes i will say full props to paramount for pulling an amazing dick move and not letting Henry Cavill shave his mustache for justice league reshoots oh yeah that's that's pretty tremendous bit of a needless uh, childishness on their part um but also in that mission impossible film he was filming like tom cruise like shattered an ankle Ooh. and had to like refilm the stunt pretty recently but at the, it, it's a thing you know like stuntmen are used for a reason and as you get older the body doesn't heal as well it's a big insurance risk to have a big movie star jump from building to building even if he has wires <laughs> and like 20 stuntmen rigging him but just let the stuntman do it, Tom, if you're listening. You go by Tom, don't you? <laughs> Close personal friends, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess the only, the only thing I want to I leave you with, uh, it, with, with this movie. Um, so, so Batman, who's a character known for his ingenuity, agility, and stealth, has a new vehicle in Justice League. What is that vehicle? A giant robotic spider tank. Spider lives again. Interesting. Yeah, like I, I'm almost wondering. It was that was, is that just a fun fact that Snyder knew about about DC Comics <laughs> that there was a guy trying to get giant spiders into things? Like I don't understand why that's there. Beyond someone must have thought, you know, what would be cool. I, I I'd like to think that um, it's it's more witty if that's the case. I don't know. I mean that that. 
I haven't seen Justice League, it's, but that doesn't It's just sound... one of many baffling decisions that oh, went yes. into the film. That does not sound as egregious in Batman and Robin when they have uh, a special version of the Batmobile and the Bat motorcycle just to put on ice. <laughs> well, if Mr. Freeze gets to have a terror Zamboni, I don't see why there can't be a Bat Zamboni. I'm going to make an embarrassing Batmobile confession. My favorite Batmobile is the one in Batman Forever. Because I love how much it rips off H.R. Giger. Huh. Although your, your comment about like Batmobile confessions, that now I'm just imagining a version of taxicab confessions where it's Batman picking up perps and as he's driving them to prison, they just start getting really, really candid. I did used to watch the, uh, the taxicab... Uh, is that what the HBO show was called? Taxi yeah, it was called Cab Taxi Con- Cab Confessions. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't thought of that in years. But yeah, I used to watch that late at night. It's pretty pretty crazy. I, I don't know if it's available, but there there's an SNL sketch mocking Taxi Cab Confessions where the drivers are all really, really twee, but for some reason, every time they pick somebody up, it turns out to be Vincent Price or Slim Pickens, oh, that's who have both faked their deaths to stay out of the public eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's the well, it's the most it's weird so conceptual stupid. thing, but it was hilarious. One last question on this segment, and then we'll wrap things up. Have okay. you had a chance to see either Star Trek Discovery or the Orville yet? Uh, n- haven't seen Discovery. I'm about five or six episodes into the Orville. And I just want your thoughts on it because you've been wanting to talk about it. I think for a bit. I'm I'm shocked, but I really do like the Orville. Yeah, I think it, it's a better. It feels more Star Trek than Star Trek Discovery in some ways. And, I like. Uh, I wish. I wish the jokes. Like, I don't mind the humor, but I wish they weren't quite so jarring. But it gets better uh, with that as it gets along. But it, it it sounds like. Did you see the episode about the baby of the Klingon people? Yes. Oh yeah, my that god! One I mean, that felt like a proper Star Trek, really, with the you're having the ethical dilemma. Yeah, and it does it does something that the Orville does that I really wish more sci-fi movies do where like there where like 20th century earth pop culture is like can be like comes up. Like I like the idea that even in the future they still watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as a holiday tradition because so so many so many sci-fi things sit, set in the future it's like all pop culture vanishes. You'll never hear someone talk about Star Wars, even if they're in a situation that's exactly like Star Wars. And it's quite funny how hysterical the music is in the Orville. It's like two notes off of Last Generation music. Like, <laughs> yeah. And not just that, but like the set design. And um, and I know it's not Brett Spiner, but it sure as hell sounds like him. Oh, the, the guy playing Isaac, that, uh, the voice, yeah. Yeah, that... Um, I did have to look it up to confirm that it wasn't Brett Spiner. I mean, he's doing a dead-on Brett Spiner voice. It's it's so good, it's scary. I think Brett Spiner um, should should uh, try a bit harder the next time he has to audition for Data. Well, well I, so so you you believe we live in a world where every time they do something new with the Star Trek: The Next Generation cast, Brett Spiner has to re-audition for his character. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awful? Like, everyone gets rehired, but Brett Spiner, they make him go back through an audition process. Um, one one Star Trek thing. Oh, and Jeff know. Goldblum's there also auditioning for Data. Of course. Um, uh, logical. Uh, 
What, uh, oh, Spot? Spot? Spot's a nice cat, a, a comfy cat. Uh, come here, Spot. Uh, <laughs> what am I doing? Um, oh, there, so there's a Twitter account that's great called Swear Trek, where they take um, they make animated gifs of the Star Trek show and then change the subtitles to make it like they're cursing. Uh, it, it's oh, funnier yeah. than it sounds. But um, the, the guy that runs it did an epic run where there's the Star Trek original series episode Spock's Brain. Oh, yeah. The, and he's doing it, the, the Infamously entire... the worst episode of the original series. Sure, from season three. And uh, he, he's re he's replacing, uh, instead of like doing fake subtitles, he has real subtitles for the show, but he's replacing every instance of Brain with Dick. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> there's like 50 mentions of it in the screenplay. It's really very, it's, it's funny, but it's taking him like hundreds of tweets, I think, to do the whole episode. Or he might just be doing scenes with the, the phrase bra brain in it, actually. But, I mean, it's the amount of work that guy does is, is pretty amazing. And it shouldn't work as often as it does. So, um, follow me on Twitter, at M-A-T-W-B-T. You can follow me on Twitter, at Internet Mayor. And are we going to do this uh, script read-through? Yes, yes. Follow the show at SequelCast2. And since you've stuck so long to the end, we're going to do... <laughs> a script read-through of an early draft of Superman. I'm going to read the narration. I'm going to play the part of Eve. I All believe right. Eve is the equivalent to Tessmacher. I haven't read this whole script. So um, can you read it okay? The formatting looked a bit dumb on my end. But. Uh, it came it came out weird, but I can read it. There just might be a weird pause because I've got to kind of mentally realign sure. the text. Okay, so tight insert on the page. It shows an Ethiopian farmer holding a wedge-shaped green rock about a foot long and five inches high. Farmer grins at the camera. The caption beneath reads, Meteorite which landed near Addis Ababa since 1940. Reverse shot on the group as Luthor puts the magazine back on the shelf and strokes the spines of the magazines nostalgically. Ah, National Geographic. In my day, this made Playboy look like Mother Goose. I don't mean to denigrate your misspent youth licks, but what does that rock have to do with... Tune me in, lady. An explosion such as the one Superman describes would have altered the molecular structure of the Kryptonian rock. I know I'm going to get raped in the mouth for saying this. Oh, it's Whoa, rape. whoa, that is not whoa, whoa, what the script okay. says. Okay, I thought I, I didn't see the extra P. Yeah, we like just that. had a discussion about how you spell <laughs> <did>. these words. <laughs> well, that was less dark than I originally read it. Jeez. Well, okay, let's, let's, let's take <laughs> it from uh, I know. Okay. Okay. I know. God damn it, we should not be laughing. That was awful. No, it's true. I know I'm going to get wrapped in the mouth for saying this, but so what? No, you're going to get kissed. He, he gives her a quick peck on the cheek. To us, it's just a meteorite. He begins the long trek up the staircase. Others follow at intervals and with considerably less energy, so that the following is played with Luthor talking back over his shoulder, but calling down to them as he climbs. But to summon from the planet Krypton, the substance would be lethal because of its high level of radioactivity. Kryptonite. Ah, kryptonite, that's the stuff. You mean bullets and fire and all that stuff can't hurt him, but this kind of rock? We'll kill him. And, I, and I'm going to have a piece of the rock. Miss Tessmacher, pack your... Yes, I know. I wonder what they're wearing in Addis Ababa. So, I mean, to can, herself, can a see... woman's dilemma is the stage oh, direction. It's terrible. Um, so you can tell that tone is 
more. I mean, although there's there's humor in Superman the movie, that version of the script is much more along those lines, where it's more um, less clever humor and more stupid. I don't know how to put this. So actually, I guess that means Eve is is uh, Miss Tessmacher's first name. Yes, and yeah, in that version of the script. Huh. I don't know if they ever say her first name. Come to think of it, and, uh, I don't believe they do. Tessmacher from the comics. Uh, I believe she. Uh, I believe both she and Otis were created for the film. Oh, okay. Luthor didn't really have a full time flunky until uh, the character uh, Mercy Graves was introduced. Interestingly enough, introduced in Superman the animated series from the '90s, but eventually became part of the mainstream DC continuity, much like Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, yeah, interesting. Um, cool. Well, well, you know, next time around, we're going to talk about Superman Two, which uh, some regard as the best in the the series of the Christopher Reeve pictures. And um, we'll be talking about, you know, Superman 2, followed by Superman 3, followed by Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, followed by Superman Returns. That's going to be a wild ride. Yes, you believe a man can fly, and then you won't believe a man can fly. <laughs> so, uh, you'll believe a man can lose his powers, you'll believe a man can be Richard Pryor. You'll believe uh, a... Uh, a nuclear man can fly. You believe a space shuttle can be landed in a baseball stadium? You believe a you believe a boy can kill a man with a piano? We'll we'll um, get to that. We'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, we'll get to that all in due time, my friend. So uh, until next time, uh, for sequel cast two, this is Matt, and this is Thrasher. Say, Miss Testmacher. Will you look at me, quivering like a little girl? Shivering, you can see 